0: Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. Today, we're continuing our coverage of the statewide elections with a podcast version of a video forum with Secretary of State candidate Alexi Janulius. The video version is available, linked with our stories on the race, which you can find at capitalnewsillinois.com. This interview was scheduled in collaboration with many of the state's newspapers by the Illinois Associated Press media editors and questioners on the panel include me and Patrick Keck of the Springfield State Journal Register. You'll hear an introduction from Jeff Long of the Effingham Daily News shortly before the unedited 45 minute conversation. As always, thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, I'm Jeff Long, a member of the Illinois Associated Press Media Editors Board and the editor of the Effingham Daily News. Today is Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. And we're about to begin an interview with Alexi Genulius of Chicago, the democratic candidate for Illinois secretary of state. He faces state representative, representative Dan Brady of Bloomington, the Republican candidate in the November general election. Illinois APME brought together participants from more than 20 of the state's newspapers representing all areas of Illinois. Questions for today's interview have been solicited from them all. Each will post the video of this interview on their websites and publish coverage in their newspapers. I'm joined on today's interview panel by Patrick Heck of the State Journal Register in Springfield and Jerry Nowicki of the Capitol News, Illinois News Service. Also attending is Dennis Anderson, president of Illinois APME. Mr. Janoulias, welcome. We'll start with two minutes for your opening statement which is a chance for you to tell voters about yourself and your qualifications.
2: Uh, well, thank you again for, uh, for allowing me to participate. Um, I appreciate everyone making time from across the state. Uh, this is an incredibly uh, important office. The Secretary of State's office in Illinois is the largest Secretary of State's office uh, in the United States of America. We touch more people's lives on an everyday basis than any other office in state government and i'm incredibly excited about the opportunity and i will tell you having run a statewide office before i think that's experience um, that is important that is relevant it's the management of a large office um, and modernization will be at the forefront of everything we do in that office and i'm looking forward to getting into it um, You know here during this this session, but modernization will be key and also the fight for voting rights, the extent we have a role through automatic voter registration and ethics are are our key component of everything we do. Um, People are sick and tired of scandal and corruption uh, here in Illinois and uh, I'm excited to announce our ethics package which we've been talking about and I'm also very excited about the work that I did uh, as state treasurer. We uh, implemented programs, low interest loan programs to help people start their first business, to buy their first home. We went after credit card companies that were going after college students. We saved hart Chapter March, the nation's oldest American suit maker from going under. We always fought for working families. We put all the state's investments online for the first time ever. We also introduced a green awards program, which in 2007 was one of the first of its kind to start talking about electric vehicles. So I'm very proud uh, about my record and we did all this, um, we did all this and I cut my budget every year I was in office. We all know the state has some, some major challenges ahead. I think having uh, someone in office who's held a statewide office has cut their budget, understand understands how to manage people and will bring that expertise uh, to the Secretary of State's office um, is incredibly important and I, I couldn't be more excited.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, Jerry, do you want to start with
0: the questions? Sure. Uh, let's just uh, start it off with what are the, what are some of the modernization proposals uh, that you would do and that? Why do they stand out above the ones that uh, leader Brady or everyone else, even in the primaries had proposed?
2: Uh, well, thank you for your question, Jerry. Um, we have been talking about this, you know, we announced our campaign in 2020 uh, when Donald Trump was still office, So we've been talking about modernization for a very long time. So a number of things. The first is, um, We want to make sure we moved our our titles and lien system to e-title system. Other states are doing it. Uh, It takes too long when someone buys a car or wants to sell a car. Uh, Number two, I also want to implement our skip the line program. And what this essentially would mean is after scheduling an appointment, uh, residents will receive a text message that confirms their appointment with a link to check in upon arrival, allowing them to enter um, at the scheduled time and skip the line. People are paying a time tax in Illinois it takes too long for them to access government services. And that's what I mean about modernization. So skip the line program. We've also looked at digital IDs and digital driver's license. Currently 20 other states in the country do this. Uh, You have your driver's license or your ID on your mobile device. Uh, It makes it easier. It reduces uh, plastic and paper and uh, you're allowed to get updates on your phone. Uh, Others, again, 20 other states, we wanna be at the forefront of this technology. We've also discussed the creation of a Secretary of State's app to allow, uh, allow Illinois to obtain more services virtually. And in advance of having to visit a facility, having all the, all the services um, digitally is a big component. Um, we also have talked about kiosks inside the DMV um, and in other uh, libraries, community colleges, et cetera. The state of uh, Wisconsin, for example, has kiosks and vending machine for a lot of their government services. That's something that, um, that we wanna implement. We've also talked about pop-up offices and, and different services at our libraries. As the state's chief librarian, we oversee over three and a half thousand libraries. This is a great opportunity for bring some, to bring some of our services to our libraries, which are in every single uh, community. We also wanna assign uh, office advocates in our driver services facilities, especially uh, for seniors and those with disabilities. We've also looked at offering vision tests online. So in the private sector, you're able to uh, get fitted for contact lenses and glasses online. That technology already exists. Uh, we want to find ways, assuming that it's unhackable, secure to even introduce those services. We believe, um, uh, we believe Jerry, that with this modernization, we can cut foot traffic at our DMVs anywhere from 50 to 70%. And I think the important thing to note is that uh, in every proposal that we've talked about during the campaign, everything I've talked about just now, none of it requires um, new technology. It already exists. I'm not saying we need to invent something. Other states are doing it. Other municipalities are doing it. So we don't have to be uh, you know, the first on, on every piece of technology here in Illinois, but I don't think we can afford to be the last.
0: That's right. so can, or Jerry, so did you have a follow-up? I, I, yeah, I, I'd like to follow up there. So which is is it just um, all Secretary of State services you think can be accessible from the app or um, is there any specific things you're going to drive online? So not all of them,
2: obviously, you know, when, there, when there's a, a driver's test, that'll never be eliminated. And the truth of the matter is, as we travel the state and we talk to a lot of seniors. They are comfortable. They feel comfortable their whole lives. They like going to the DMV to get services. There will be no pressure to do that. Um, but almost all services, whether it's, uh, you know, a business license, whether it's, um, you know your your driver's license or ID. We'd like to put as many services as possible, physically possible, on the app.
0: Okay, Patrick, I don't know if you want to follow up on the uh, on the electronic liens or whatever other questions. Uh,
3: yeah, you you were mentioning a little bit about um, you know, bringing in new employees. Uh, does this mean you're looking to expanding? the secretary of state office and with that would that mean when did I, i'm um, sorry
0: when did i
2: say i was bringing in new employees
3: well, per, per, they, you
0: mean on the uh office advocates at the uh uh yes. for the seniors oh no uh
2: sorry good question so with the office advocates so i mentioned uh that we can we believe we can cut foot traffic by 50 to 70 percent, right so that means less less people in lines uh more opportunities for uh, people working behind the counter for example to be at office advocates so we're talking more retraining um moving around employees we're not going to hire uh hire more for that sorry for the confusion
0: and what is what do they do
2: okay the office advocates yeah help guide along seniors um, vets, people who are disabled who are trying to figure out which line to go into, what services they need, Is their ID up, is their driver's license up? Do they need a vision test and um, all those. So basic services, but just you know, maybe when you enter versus having a wait line, and what we've what we've heard, Jerry, is that um, from a couple seniors is, you know they, they get to the DMV, they wait in line for quite a while. And then they realize that they actually didn't need to be there, that they have another year left or that they don't really need a vision test this time. They could have done it uh, over the phone or online or through the mail. Uh, And like I said, that will help eliminate uh, a lot of stress for for constituents and for those who work in the office.
3: Um, As far as the overall kind of DMV process, uh, one thing your opponent has suggested um, is reducing licensing fees Um, this being licensing fees, personalized plates, all of them going down about $50 or so. Um, do you think that's something that is, you know, feasible, um, and what would that just kind of like look like as far as like, you know, requiring lawmaker approval? Um, what's kind of the whole process in making changes to that? So, so here's the thing. When
2: people run for office and politics is involved, they say things to try and get Uh, attention. And I will tell you um, that while it sounds great to say how everyone's going to pay $50 less, uh, you know, you're talking about 11 million vehicles at $50 a vehicle. So Representative Brady saying, I'm going to take $550 million from the road fund. And I'm not gonna tell you how I'm going to replace it. And I think that to me, uh, is is irresponsible budgeting. It doesn't make sense. It's also regressive. You know, if you're making $6 million a year and you have three vehicles, these individuals aren't necessarily screaming for $50 off. So I think, I don't know that it, it makes sense. It's a it's a smart campaign move, I guess, during times of, of uh, tremendous inflation to say, I'm going to cut your fees. But I think he should be asked where he's going to replace the $550 million or so that he's literally pulling out of the road fund.
3: So would you support just maintaining the prices as is uh, just because of that potential loss of $550 million or? So, so I do think that,
2: you know, over the court, if I'm fortunate enough to get elected, I do think it's, you know, we look at if people are uh, impoverished, if people are below a certain income uh, level, can we look at reducing fees? I think that's completely responsible. But I think if we were to make that decision or look at, you know, study it and figure out who it would help and how it would help them and how important that is. I would only do that uh, if I had money to replace it in some other way. And you can't just say, I'm going to cut your taxes and cut your fees. You have to be able to 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 replace it. And quite frankly, and I have nothing against our Representative Brady. He's, he's a nice guy, but he's been in Springfield for you know 20 plus years. And I think that this whole spend whenever you want, say whatever you want on the campaign trail, I don't know that that's uh, responsible long-term
0: so um as as you know obviously our listeners might not you'd need uh action from the general assembly to touch those fees anyway so what are who are your allies in the general assembly and how do you uh, what else are you working with them or will be working with them to implement uh upon uh, election should you get it uh
2: great question uh so we spent a lot of time uh working with um senators representatives i'm proud that uh, I have a track record of working across the aisle. Uh, I worked well with, uh, with Tom Cross when I was a state treasurer. We always worked well with um, you know, Republicans and Democrats. And a, a couple of examples. Um, so we announced in East St. Louis um, about a week ago, our license to read program. Okay, Essentially, uh, publishers are charging libraries and institutions of higher learning higher rates than they charge consumers. So a few other states, Massachusetts, I believe, Rhode Island and New York, um, have passed legislation to negotiate directly with publishers that can bring their costs down that they charge for the libraries. Um, and also increase the licensing agreement time period. So people, libraries and consumers and families aren't paying higher fees for eBooks. We we're also in Peoria yesterday discussing this issue uh, with Secretary White. So on that we have representative Latoya Greenwood from uh, East St. Louis who's gonna co-sponsor uh, our bill. We've also talked about, um, the, uh, the rear visor lo- uh, law with representative LaShawn Ford. So to those of you who don't know, in Illinois, it's actually illegal to hang something from your rear view mirror. Studies have shown that um, you know this is discriminatory, that, um, that it targets African Americans primarily, so LaShawn Ford, Latoya Greenwood. We've also talked about uh, making sure that uh, those who leave prison uh, have a state ID. What we've seen is uh, you have individuals that uh, leave prison, they want to get a job, they want to turn their lives around. We line them up with an employer that's willing to hire them, but they don't have a physical uh, state ID or piece of paper that says they are who they are. Meanwhile, the prison has all this information and then some. So we've talked about making sure that anyone who leaves prison uh, has a state ID it'll help uh, with local unemployment rates, it'll help with, the, uh, with job creation, it'll help reduce recidivism, um and we've got a number of sponsors that have jumped up who want to play a role in that so i think having again having served statewide uh jerry uh, has been beneficial we know legislators that are in metro east that are in central illinois Uh, we were with senator dave taylor and representative john gordon yesterday um to the chicago area to the south and west side of chicago those are relationships that i've had since i was state treasurer uh, in 2006 although uh you know a lot of those folks are. (laughs) I'm not there anymore. I used to be the young guy. Now I'm one of the older uh, older guys, I guess.
3: Um, when you were in Peoria yesterday, um, and throughout your campaign, you've been talking a little bit about book banning um, at, at you know, at, I believe public libraries. As Secretary of State, you would be state librarian. Um, what would that? authority kind of be would that be something you'd be willing to partner with the general assembly like as far as legislation goes
2: uh yes a great question patrick this is a, this to me uh, let me step back fundamentally uh, is a huge issue and as we travel the state this is not just me my opinion as we travel the state and talk to librarians we met with the head librarian in fairmont heights um in Fairmont City, excuse me, uh, Illinois last week. And she said the number one issue, the number one challenge they face are these calls to ban certain books. And I think fundamentally, if you talk to educators and librarians, that it literally undermines the most important facet of educating our youth, which is to teach them to learn for themselves and to make decisions on their own. So we've seen it across the country. they are banning books that people disagree with, and I think fundamentally uh, that takes away from the kids uh, from a child's uh, ability to learn and to make decisions on what they want to believe in or what they want to study. Uh, we've seen a couple instances here uh, in Illinois, which we can get to you guys, um, of people asking for banned books to be banned, threatening librarians, and that to me is scary. So to answer your question directly, as states, as the state's chief librarian, we're going to do everything we can, whether it requires legislation, whether it's using the bully pulpit of our office. But I think, uh, fundamentally, uh, banning books does not help educate our kids. I think it's wrongheaded, I think it's short-sighted, and I think um, it teaches kids the wrong lesson.
0: So um, a couple other things here. Uh, More than 1,300 Illinois crash-related deaths in 2021, highest total since 2005. Uh, what can you do as Secretary of State to try to address the problem of reckless and distracted driving? Uh,
2: that's another great question. I think you know, obviously, some of this um, uh, some of this Jerry will require working with the legislature. Um, but traffic accidents accidents have, have, have soared. Um, I think you know, using the, again using the bully pulpit of the office to you know talk about this to crack down on reckless driving, on drunk driving. Um, making sure if there's a car on the road, on the shoulder of the road, that people are doing the right thing. Again, some of the, a lot of that legislation is out there. It's just enforcement, reinforcement, and public messaging, all of which the Secretary of State, as I mentioned, the state's largest agency, uh, can use their bullet pulpit to talk. So we're gonna spend a lot of time, if I'm fortunate, to get elected, reminding people and hopefully uh, make sure that.
0: And then uh, on the organ donor system, uh any changes that need to be made to that? Or how do you, uh, maybe it's the bully pulpit again, but how do you sort of um, increase participation? So uh, great. Another great question.
2: I I will tell you that I think Secretary White does deserve credit uh, for what he's been able to do. There are, I think, 7.4, I think there are 7.4 million uh, registered or donors, you know, and and keep in mind, every single one of those donors can have an impact on 25 lives each, right? So Um, He's taken, he's done a good job in in bringing that up. I think again, bully pulpit traveling the state, reminding people of the ability to to, to literally save lives. I think when you talk about it uh, and you're out there present traveling the state, you know, you get rid of some of that inertia. Like, oh yeah, I really want to be an organ donor, but I never signed up or I never did that. So I think traveling, using libraries, talking to colleges, um, you know, going out to different groups will, will all be uh, crucially important the other the other piece of that um is that we've heard is there's there's a, there's a there's a sort of a stigma uh in certain minority communities that are you know nervous about signing up um don't really trust the system or there's a stigma culturally in certain uh communities uh, we met with mayor she- Sheila Chalmers out uh, Madison, she said that's a problem in her community, yeah, she had a family member whose life was saved from an organ donor, um, so I think getting out to these communities and, and reinforcing uh, the power of organ donors and how it can literally save lives will be crucial.
3: Uh, going back a little bit earlier, um, you were talking about transitioning to the electronic lien and title system. When we were speaking with representative brady he was saying how this could be big um for the state's transition to electronic vehicles um or electric vehicles rather um how do you kind of see the uh the lien and title system um fitting into that transition um uh, so i think it'll help quite frankly
2: with everything right it'll make things easier less red tape. I talked about the time tax, I keep on hammering home, Illinoisans are paying too much of a time tax, Uh, so our campaign has been about eliminating that time tax, and this is a great example of it, someone buys a car uh, or wants to buy a car, it can take a week or a week or weeks to get that title, Uh, electronic titling, which again other states are doing, the state of Wisconsin does it, for example, we've talked Uh, tangentially to a couple vendors should do it they say the technology is very easy we talk to car dealers we talk to auctioneers who say this is a ridiculous waste of time resources they even say um, at least the ones that we've talked to they would be willing to pay a little bit more um, just to get it done within seconds or minutes or hours or whatever it may be now the influx of electronic vehicles obviously is, is a huge a huge piece of that. So when you lift all when the when you lift uh, all sales and make things easier, a huge component of that is we as we move into the electric vehicle world even more aggressively, they will be the recipients of this. That's, that's kind of makes sense.
0: So I think Illinois uh, is is it the only state that uh, requires an annual driver road test for people 75 and older. Uh, is that necessary? Does that need to be uh, changed or rethunk? Uh We could look at it, but again,
2: as Secretary of State, we'll do everything we can, and we can look at studies, but we'll do everything we can to make sure we keep our roads safe. That's paramount to everything we do.
3: Um, you, you mentioned a little bit about acting as state librarian. Um, secretary of state you know reaches so many parts of the state has a lot of responsibilities um how do you kind of uh view these roles do you think there needs to be any changes to things like uh just running the the capital complex uh or other roles as such like that um
2: well I, i will tell you that i take the role of chief librarian very seriously i was fortunate enough up until recently Uh, to be on the board of the Chicago Public Library System, and the outstanding work that is being done in our libraries in every community is hugely important. And I'll tell you, Patrick, I think because of COVID, so many of our boys and girls have been left behind, uh, which is tragic, and libraries can and should play a, 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 a crucial role in allowing for after school, tutoring, mentoring, uh, summer hours, not only to educate kids and to give them a place to learn, uh, but also to keep them off the streets in, in certain communities. And um, I will tell you in Chicago, um, any student who wants it can get and signs up for it can get free tutoring and free mentoring. So if your parent is, you know, working through jobs and you need help with a, a math question or a science question uh, in Chicago, you get free tutoring. I would love to extend that statewide. Uh, I mentioned our license to read program. Um, so I think libraries play a crucial role. My goal, and I don't know if it's doable, my goal um, if I'm fortunate enough to get elected in four years would be to visit as many libraries as possible. Again, we have about three and a half thousand academic, public, uh, and private libraries. But uh, you know, even the, the library in Peoria was, was amazing. It was beautiful. It was the library down the street that uh, my daughters go to has um you know a kid section an e learning section you can even film your podcast uh if you want to it's a place for people to print and print and work on a resume so being the state's chief librarian is a hugely important role and i will tell you one of the most and one of the most excited one of the uh, elements of the office that i'm most excited about sorry if i sound like a nerd i just uh i am excited about uh about our libraries
0: so, uh, you, you had mentioned a couple of times your experience as treasurer. Um, you held that post until 2010. At that time, you ran for Senate uh, unsuccessfully with against uh, uh, Republican Mark Kirk. So, since 2010, can you tell us um, what type of private sector uh, experience you've had? I know Bank of New York Mellon from 2012 to 2018, what can you tell our listeners what you did there?
2: Uh, yeah, so uh, a few things. One is, you know, just because I uh, I left public office uh, doesn't mean I le- ever left public life. And um, what I'm most excited about was, uh, you know, Governor Quinn appointed me to be chairman of the Illinois Community College System, which is one of the best community colleges in the country. I traveled the state, met with community college heads, talked about the importance of community colleges. We worked hard to increase scholarships uh, and Pell grants uh, for community college students we thought it was unfair that uh, all this money was going to the four-year uh, universities and yet we could save the state uh, tens of millions of dollars and get a lot more kids scholarships for those first two years. So community colleges, being the chairman of the Illinois Community College Board uh, was crucial and I love it, I love doing it. I mentioned being on the board of the Chicago Public Library System, uh, which was a tremendous honor. I also did some nonprofit work, um, uh, one million degrees I'm on the board of, We provide scholarships and mentorships for kids that can't afford to go to community colleges, Chicago Children's Advocacy Center, where we help abuse and neglected kids, CARE, where we provide uh, second chances to those who've had some some challenges and setbacks in their life. So I'm excited about that work. And then uh, on the investment side, um, you know, I I started a little fund where we invest in uh, in tech startups um, and other businesses. And, you know, some of them uh, did well. We had invested in a company called Cameo, which you may have heard about. It's a Chicago based company uh, that does um, uh, celebrity autographs. they built their company. They just signed a big lease downtown Chicago job creation. So I think being a part of the, the investment world has been uh, illuminating. It's been exciting uh, and I think plays a role in this office because we invested in, in tech, we've seen how it works, we've seen how it impacts people's lives in the private sector, how it provides some conveniences. And I think bringing that sort of uh, experience and perspective, as I mentioned, digital digital IDs, the digital, digital driver's license, the creation of an app, um, I think bringing that
0: innovation and
2: that energy and that know-how I, I think will be helpful.
0: So what can you tell us about BNY and Mellon and, and maybe what types of clients you had?
2: Uh, sure Uh BMY Mellon I was a uh uh private wealth manager which means essentially I, my job was to uh to bring in new business um to the company. Okay
0: and and anything you could give us uh, regarding clients.
2: Uh yeah my clients were families and individuals.
0: Any public officials or any of that? Oh no. Um so then Anula Ventures are there are there um let me just
2: uh, there were no public official, no, I, I had no public official, sorry. I just want to say something and come back.
0: Okay. So, so, um, regarding annual Ventures, are there investments you're holding right now, anything you're going to have to divest from, uh, if elected? Uh,
2: great question. No, um, uh, although I've already begun, uh, divesting anything that I've had an active, uh, ownership in, um, so no, the, the, the only investments that I have left, and you can you know go to the uh, financial disclosure, I think the only investments I have left are just passive. So I'm an investor, I'm not an owner, I'm not on the board of it. Um, I'm not in day-to-day operations.
0: Can I, can I, can I, I'm sorry, can I add one?
2: Sure. That being said, even though these are just passive investments, I, I will, uh, the first thing I do, even during the transition period, Uh, get a legal opinion, make sure the inspector general takes a look at uh, whatever I have, and and if there's even, uh, you know, anything even remotely, um, you know, related, then I'll just to the extent I'm able to. Uh,
3: You just mentioned uh, speaking with the inspector general. um, In other races, um, we just saw uh, recently gubernatorial candidate, Darren Bailey, released his tax returns. Um, are you planning on uh, doing that as well or? Uh, I have decided not to
2: uh, for now, you know, my wife and I have some, uh, some things that she wants to keep uh, private, which I respect, but I will sign and continue to fill all required financial
0: disclosure forms. So um on. on that note um, regarding financial disclosures, are they strong enough? Um, is that something you're going to look to increase? I, gu- I guess I'm talking about existing law now, you'd mentioned an ethics package. So I kind of want to yeah. dig into what that looks like. And do we need better financial disclosures uh, in Illinois? Uh,
2: so, uh, again, if you look at our, our ethics proposal, my focus is on, you know, as, as we're in charge of lobbyist registrations and reports, uh, we want to make sure there's as much transparency as possible. Uh, we have some thoughts on that, which you can see. Um, well, I also think that uh, a spouse should not be lobbying that individual's office, so that's in our proposal. No pay to play in the office. I will never take money from anyone who works in the office. Um, all those are important to answer your question uh, directly. This is an interesting one. So for me, I think that you know the most, the more disclosure, the better. I will tell you, and this is interesting, and you may talk to some of your local mails or mayors and elected officials, when I spoke to the Illinois Municipal League, one of their biggest challenges in getting school board members, city council members from some of these, especially in some of these small towns, they feel that it's too onerous, especially for unpaid um, unpaid positions where people are volunteering their time, and then they have to go online and put every you know health insurance trust or any property they own. So to hear that was an interesting perspective. We don't want to make it, especially for you know, for unpaid roles, whether it's a school board or a library board, that people feel that qualified people who are willing to do this outside of you know their day to day job. We don't want them to feel overly burdened so that they don't even you know run for these positions. So there's a balance there. um I told the Illinois Municipal League we'd look at that. That being said, for legislators and for constitutional officers, um, I am a believer in the more you know transparency on, on assets that you own, uh, I, I rarely is it a bad thing.
0: And and going back to your time as treasurer, one of the things even going back to the 2010 Senate race, you received a lot of scrutiny for was that the Bright Start College Savings Program had lost a lot of money. I think it was $150 million was the number I, I most uh, saw quoted in, in news reports. Uh, what are the lessons there and is there a defense of handling of Bright Start or um, what do you take from that? Well,
2: I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because I could not be more pride, proud of the Bright Start College Savings Program. And I will tell you, obviously, running for the U.S. Senate uh, campaigns are easy. Don't forget, I ran uh, during the Great Recession. And, and, and uh, a little context uh, is important. Before I came state treasurer, Brightstar was ranked one of the worst 529 programs in the country, 47 out of 48 programs nationwide. Under our administration, we revamped the program, we ensured that there were more investment options, we slashed investment fees in half, um, and we created a scholarship program that the fund administrator paid for of over $3.5 million as a result. Brightstar was ranked one of the top five programs in the country, Morningstar called the transformation is Cinderella story, the Chicago Tribune, Ed Board called it a brighter start for Illinois families. Um, the core plus fixed income strategy, not to bore you with details, was one of 21 funds in Brightstar. Out of the state's $2 billion college savings program, less than 9% was invested in it. So we're talking about less than 3% of all 200,000 account holders had their money in this fund. Nationwide, nationwide, Over 1,529 funds lost at least 40% of their value in the market collapse, according to the Wall Street Journal. Core Plus was the only one in the country to get back money for account holders. That's because I was the first treasurer in the country to notice the returns uh, in Core Plus that were off their benchmark. I was the first to reroute the investments. I was the first to get the Attorney General involved, and I was the first in the nation to recoup money for these losses. And after we did that, when the market rebounded, again, during the Great Recession, Bright Start was again named one of the top five programs in the country. This is according to Bright, uh, according to Kiplinger, which gave us uh, the Gold Cup. So I could not be more proud of, of Bright Start. I couldn't be more proud that we we're the first state shareholders office in the country to notice these irregularities and the first state to sue and recoup money back uh, for these families.
3: Uh, I wanted to go back a little bit on your comments with your uh, ethics plan. One thing I've been reading about is uh, you want to ban shadow lobbying. Um, how prevalent is something like that uh, already in Springfield? Um, it seems like we have, you know, we have lobbyists who are registered, These the shadow lobbying, it kind of seems like it's, you know, kind of hidden as, as the title suggests. Um, How do you go about regulating something like that, that might be kind of more concealed Uh, for our listeners? For our listeners, what is shadow lobbying? Yes, so Shadow lobbying
2: is, uh, you know, there's no uh, official definition. Shadow lobbying is there are lobbyists who do the right thing and they register their clients who they're lobbying, gifts of whatever the amount is. Uh, and you have what's called, you know, shadow lobbyists that are actually doing a lot of this work and being paid, but they don't, um, report that that's difficult right i'm not gonna lie to you it's not like shadow lobbyists say hey i'm a shadow lobbyist mr secretary so that's going to take a little bit of uh, a little bit of work um as far as the prevalence of it we've heard anecdotally that that it occurs to the extent we're able to get a hold of it and uh, work with the inspector general uh in our office and for the state we'd like to do our very best to to eliminate that or at least curtail that
3: Um, i guess that kind of transitions into my next question um Susan this, this is certainly a little more out front there but um as far as campaign fundraising goes you are um, have a, a pretty good gap on your opponent um, and that was also the case um, in your treasurer race in 2006. Um, we're seeing this with most democrats throughout the state they have, usually the lead over their um republican opponent um where where why do you think that kind of has been the case so far is it just you know illinois being more of a democrat state or is it just larger money on that side uh, you know i
2: can't speak to other races i will tell you um uh, you know it is a blue state and i think as we talk about uh, issues like choice and what's happening across the country we we have seen more energy from a donor perspective. More and more people are engaged and fired up about about choice when we talk about uh, issues like equality. And I'm proud that we've been traveling state and talking about social justice issues, modernization, cleaning up our automatic voter registration system, making it a, a better system, protecting voter rights in our democracy. As we talk about that, people have been uh, you know generous and helpful. I think. That's why we would be, would been able to build up some momentum and get support from a lot of people. As far as, you know, the discrepancy between Democrats and Republicans, I, I don't really, you know, I don't know uh, the reason for that, to be honest with you. Sorry, I don't have a better answer. Uh,
0: so, Sam. no, you mentioned choice. So um we have heard a lot uh from you, certainly more than Leader Brady on the social issues such as abortion. Uh, Um, Do you think, though, that's really something voters are considering uh, in a race for Secretary of State? Yes. And
2: and I'll tell you, look, so you're running for a political office, and I think it's fair for voters to ask where you stand uh, on these issues, especially in light of Dobbs, which as we travel the state and talk to people, they they can't believe that that we're taking a step back, that Roe versus Wade was, was repealed, and they believe strongly and a woman's right to choose and a woman's right to make uh, decisions on her own body. Dan Brady happens to be 100% pro-life. That's fine. It's up to voters to decide if that's relevant for them, uh, relevant to them or not. Um, you know, he said he's a, he voted for Donald Trump. Again, that's up to voters to decide. I don't care if he voted for Trump. I love that he voted for Trump. Those are decisions that voters have to make. But to say social issues are irrelevant, I don't have to answer these questions, uh, you know, running for office, is, it's very fair. And I will also tell you on that issue, it does uh, it is relevant to the Secretary of State's office. You know, we mentioned a proposal a couple of weeks ago to make sure that these automatic license plate readers are used for the purposes which they're supposed to be, and that's for law enforcement. Um, what we've seen and, and, and heard is that other states um, are using the uh, ALPRs, as they're called, to track women who travel across state lines to get abortions. So we're gonna work with Representative Kelly Cassidy, Uh, and Ann Williams to to try to pass legislation that would uh, specifically limit the purpose for which these ALPRs are uh, are used for things like uh, locating drivers involved in serious crimes and stolen vehicles. Number two, specify that ALPRs cannot be used for tracking of of individuals seeking abortion care or individuals assisting them. Number three, um, we wanna restrict the sharing of data with other governments and law enforcement Agency. So these LPRs do play a role in helping law enforcement, but these are, again, private companies have this data, um, having a secretary that steps up and, and is talking about legislation is important. So I do so, think... Go ahead. I'm sorry. So uh, I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to cut you off. So I do think it's not it's not irrelevant to ask where people stand on, on some of these issues.
0: So was your contention that Illinois uh, license plate reader data is being used currently by other states? uh we're saying that we don't know
2: because the private companies uh have this information we want to make sure we want to codify and make sure that they are not sharing uh that they're only sharing information um you know for law enforcement purposes
0: because okay. that, that legislation does sort of have a um it, it narrows down on what it can be used for but you're saying it, it, it needs a sentence for like a specific prohibition on, on well, we want to
2: make sure it's only used for uh, law enforcement purposes. And, and just to give you some context, there's, I think, 16 other states have already passed uh, laws regulating how ALPRs are used. Again, this is private data, um, including uh, California and Minnesota that how police share the data uh, with private companies. Okay. So, again, this is fairly new, right, uh, with, with DOB. So, uh, um, we're going to look at them, making sure that it's used uh, appropriately. But again, the reason I bring up the ALPRs is because there there are instances where, in addition to having the pulpit of a statewide office, you directly and indirectly impact uh, a choice in Illinois. So um, then,
0: oh,
1: go
2: ahead, Jeff. Well, I, I just want to mention we're we're coming
1: up on forty five minutes, uh, which is sort of the time frame we wanted. Uh, Jerry, if you have another question. Um, sure, so yeah, uh,
0: just um, let's let's talk about elections. What role does the Secretary of State play in elections? Um, how do you ensure election integrity? Um, just any thoughts on, on that topic?
2: Uh, yeah, so um, unlike other Secretaries of State across the country, we are not the election authority, but Secretary of State does play a role. Most importantly, we run the uh, AVR system, the automatic voter registration system. We wanna make sure it's run uh, as effectively and efficiently as possible and at the risk of boring you guys with uh when the time is up we want to create a, what's called a back-end system currently there's a front-end system to the automatic voter registration what we want to do is uh make it so that you have to opt out so when you to your driver's license or id you're automatically registered uh to vote so you have to to p- send a piece of mail in to opt out of being a registered voter uh, we've seen in other states that have, that, have, that have done this voter participation increases by anywhere from 30 to 40 percent. We've also talked about pre-registration for 16 and 17-year-olds, so we'd like to pass legislation. 14 other states currently do this. We want to pass legislation so that, you know, let's say your son or or daughter um, gets a a driver's license at 16, they are pre automatically pre-registered to vote, so when they turn 18, they're already uh, ready to go. I also want to use the office to enfranchise voters, so, Increase uh, increasing mail-in balloting, early voting. I'm in favor of election day being declared a national holiday. So again, my parents were were both immigrants. Voting was a big deal, and I think we need to make sure that we do everything we can to enfranchise people to make it easiest possible for people to vote.
0: Anything from your office on election in- integrity?
2: Uh, no, we're going to continue to push back on uh, false, dangerously false. Uh, election deniers and folks who are saying that there's fraud in the system. Okay. All right, I think
1: this has been very informative, uh, Mr. Janolis. Would you like to make
2: sort of a, a sum up uh, uh, your thoughts for voters? No, I, well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. You guys asked some uh, some hard hitting questions, but I, I believe that our state needs more substantive questions. Let's talk about the issues. What can the Secretary of State do? And I I just, I want to end on a note that Secretary of State has been an outstanding, Jesse White has been an outstanding public servant, one of the finest public servants um, that I've ever known. He took an office that was mired in scandal and corruption, he completely turned it around and we want to build on that legacy of public service. Um, And we want to focus on the issues I mentioned, modernization, uh, protecting voting rights. Um, But when it comes to modernization, there's a lot more that we could be doing. I'm proud of the specifics that we've talked about. I'm proud of our work on uh, making sure the best library system in the country. There's a number of issues that we need to get a chance to talk to. The securities division, which plays a crucial role, we want to hire more auditors, more investigators, more lawyers. Um, We want to enhance our business services, we want to make sure it's easier. As the office that's in charge of corporate registration and business formation. We make it as easy as possible for people to start their first business, expand their business, especially for those entrepreneurs and underserved communities who don't know the difference between an S Corp and a C Corp and an LLC and the tax implications of these. So we want to make this an entrepreneurial friendly state, a business friendly state to the extent we're able to. Um, So I'm tremendously excited about the opportunity. I'm honored that, that you would make time for me and uh, I look forward to seeing you all uh, in person but thank you for uh for allowing me to be here and to the people who are listening they say in politics you have to ask Uh, obviously I'd be honored to have your vote and your support and I promise you if I'm fortunate enough to get elected I will not let you down okay thank you very much thank you all right
0: thank you
3: thank you
0: thanks guys